fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Hey, it's a Monday. It's the greatest day of the whole entire week. We are fired up. We are ready to go for a whole brand spanking new week. We are one week closer to Election Day. I know you are giddy and excited about that just as much as I am. You are the ultimate nerds, and nerds unite here on this program. So welcome into the program. This is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. We love you to death, man. What the heck took you so long to get here? It's great to have you along here. Your millennial general reporting for duty as usual. Really happy bottom of the hour. We're going to have uh, one of our guests back on the program that we've chatted with semi-recently, I guess. Uh, his name is Richard Lyons. He's the author of the book Shadows of the Acropolis. Is his latest book. He's had many books, and we look forward to chatting with him on the show. We'll talk about current events. We'll talk about the election, division within the nation. Can we get back to common sense conversations, or are we too farly polarized and divided? We'll have that fun conversation coming up here relatively soon, which I, th- I, I got to be honest, and this is kind of the topic going into the first half as well, because I think we are pretty divided. Got to be honest, I think we are seeing a division I don't know that we can come back from. We're seeing the same issue, but vastly different ideas on what to do about it. We're seeing it as, hey, we know what the issue was on how to correct it. The other side says they're just not going farther enough, right? I mean, socialism, according to them and according to Bernie Sanders, has not been tried truly. If we would just really go full-on pure socialism in this nation... Everything would be great and hunky-dory, and we would just not have any of the issues that we're having right now from doing a quasi-socialist nation. (laughs) We'll get into that here in just a minute. So welcome into the show. Uh, We have a COVID update for you. We'll get to you in just a little bit as well. So lots of things to talk about and get to throughout the program. First and foremost, hope you had a great weekend. I did myself. It was extremely busy. I I never seem to just actually take time to relax and enjoy. I am ready for election season to be over so I can actually kick back and relax a little bit, maybe take a semi-vacation. I don't know because I don't remember the last time we actually took some time. I was not live on Friday, and it was because we were tied up with some other things. In fact, uh, so Thursday, got to enjoy the birthday. And again, thanks for all the birthday wishes on there. Friday, I got to, uh, I was busy. I was working on a lot of stuff, but I almost had a day with the little one, little voice of reason, as Mrs. Voice of Reason was out and about traveling, doing some things. So I had a little voice of reason and it was nice. We haven't had some daddy daughter time in a while. And I tell you from the short amount of time that I have been able to be a father, soak up that time and enjoy it as much as humanly possible because it goes by way too fast. She is now eight years old. She is in the third grade, and she is already just wanting to play video games, which we did play a lot of video games and enjoy that because daddy likes to enjoy that a little bit too. However, man, what happened to the girl that wanted to play Barbies? 
She has a massive amount of Barbies in her room. What changed from her wanting to play from Barbies and play with the dollhouse, which she still does, but she's starting to grow out of it a little bit, to now wanting to play not just any video game, but Minecraft. Can you explain to me why the heck there's such a fascination with Minecraft? (laughs) I don't get it. It is blocks. It is like 1980s video game graphics, and she will just sit there for hours wanting to build things. And you get sucked into it to where you're playing it for hours wanting to build things as well. But I don't understand the purpose of it. I just don't get it. There's not a mission. There's not a goal. There's not a time frame. There's not an accomplishment. You just build things. That's it. And I just, I I mean, that's cool. My video games, at least, I mean, you have an open world. You can do whatever you want to do. But at least there's a mission or there's a time lapse or there's at least something going on to where you can get back to a storyline or some type of mission. No, no. No, you just build things. So apparently she's going to be an architect. I keep telling her she's going to be president. She rolls her eyes at me. No, dad, dad, I'm not going to be president. Donald Trump's president. It, oh, <laughs> she she tells me that still. She says, no, dad, dad, Donald Trump's president, which... I hate to burst her bubble, man. I just can't break down to tell her that he's not right now and that we're in a far worse shape than uh, what we would be if Donald Trump were still president right now. But that's the science of the point. So it was a lot of fun. Had a great weekend and now back at it, ready to go again. Uh, I, I'm i trying to ease my way into the economic conversation today because all the experts would shake my head because we predicted this how many months ago? I mean, we've had now three quarters of GDP loss, which would indicate the definition of what a recession is, which is at least two quarters in the nation with negative GDP growth. We're in our third quarter. Uh, we're sorry. We're in our fourth quarter now. We just ended our third quarter. And experts are finally saying that there is a 100% chance of a recession by the end of the year. What? Wow. Thank you. I'm glad that you guys are the smart ones that went to education and got to your college degree and are telling us what a recession looks like because I'm pretty sure we've been in one for, I don't know, at least a quarter now, a quarter plus. Americans are poor. The latest study uh, or the latest analysis shows that Americans are $6,000 poorer thanks to Joe Biden's inflation. That's up from the previous report that was just a month or so ago up from 42 $4,200, meaning for you to have the exact same lifestyle as what you have prior to COVID, prior to the Joe Biden administration, prior to the inflation rates at 9.5%, right now you're spending $6,000 more a year just to maintain the same level that you were before. That's a lot. And for those that have not gotten a pay increase in any way, shape, or form, that's borderline for many in the middle class or lower middle class or wherever. That's borderline I'm going to fall behind because I can't afford it. I was just reading a story as well from CNBC about now how uh, bank, uh, bankers in the banking institution is now having trouble collecting debt because debt, personal debt is skyrocketing because people are trying to maintain their personal lifestyle and they just can't do it. I would like to throw that in, by the way, with the uh, union, the railroad union that we talked about last week that's talking about a 24% increase, and you guys denied it because your union is working so good for you. They denied you their 24% salary increase because that's just not good enough for the railways to negotiate for you. Shame on you, man. Shame on you. But here's the bigger picture. As we get into election season, I don't want to focus just on economic issues. You know I'm a dork. I like numbers. You know this, but I want to look at the grander scale here. I want to ask you a question, a serious question, and I don't want you to look at it through the tunnel vision that we have as Republicans sometimes, the echo chamber of conservative talk radio or the echo chamber of your Republicanism or libertarianism. I don't want you to look at it through that spectrum right now. I truly want you to look deep down 
from that 30,000 foot view and I want you to look and see where we're at in this nation right now. Economic issues by themselves are the number one issue. Every poll shows that every poll, every voter, everybody says the the economy and economic problems are the number one criteria for them to go to the voting booth, which is why they're losing their minds over like the high gas prices. The fact that we are seeing gas prices impact people's pocketbooks so much right now, would that change how you're considering voting for the next election, whether it's congressional later this year or presidential a couple years down the road? Definitely, definitely. I just know that one administration had cheaper gas and this administration has more expensive guys. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Now, that audio clip, and we've played it many times on this show, that was all the way back during springtime when gas prices first started to climb and everybody began to panic on the Democrat side. The crazy part is during that time of panic of the Democrats when the economy continued to move in the upward direction inflation-wise and expenditure-wise and supply chain-wise, everything is just kind of crumbling. That was the same time during the end of spring, beginning of summer, when... Democrats begin to gain on Republicans in the polls on what the outlook may be. Republicans started off the year with about a 10-point uh, majority um, win potentially in the polls. Then it dropped, and we were about even. Now we're starting to climb again. But what changed? And with the economy being as bad as it is, and it hasn't gotten any better, five interest rate hikes later from the Federal Reserve, a still 9.5% inflation rate across this nation, even higher when you talk about county and local taxes at the city levels all over the nation, regardless of wherever you're at listening to this broadcast right now, it hasn't gotten any better. What changed for Republicans to not stay ahead of the ball and to maintain their majority lead in the polls as we get closer to election season? What changed? Everybody recognizes the economy is doing bad. Every, there's not a single person except for maybe Joe Biden. But remember, this guy tries to shake hands with the Easter Bunny, so give me a break here. Outside of himself and the the talking points from Corrine Jean-Pierre, the spokeswoman for the White House, outside of their talking points, even the media can't defend the Biden administration on how the economy is doing. So why are Democrats even considered to be in the ballgame here? Going into election season, it shows a major divide in the nation. And again, through us, through our echo chamber, through the Republican view and the Republican conservative libertarian lens that we have, we say, well, that's just a sure tail sign that it would be an easy win for us. It would be the, uh, the, the, the red tsunami that we would win all over the nation. We would have five Senate seats and we'd have 30 House seats, which I still think that's potentially could happen. But why don't the polls reflect that? Now we can take polls for granted at times because they're very skewed and they're very limited. So I get that. But why wouldn't any everybody, I'm talking everybody in the grand scheme, just say enough is enough. Democrats have run things for the last two years plus, and it's been a disaster. How do Democrats, outside of their fringe, very loud, very outspoken mob mentality, the AOC types that represent about 10% of the Democrat Party, it, at least I feel like it's growing, unfortunately, but I still think it's relatively small. They're just very loud and outspoken. How is it that the rest of the Democrat Party continues to vote Democrat? Why? Is it because they're just genetically told to do so because that's the way they've done it their entire life and they don't know anything different? We recognize we all see the same thing. Unless you're, I, I take that back. I guess unless you're one of the super elites out there that make a couple million dollars, you're like, I really don't care how bad inflation is. That just allows us to invest in more things and then, you know, stick it to the middle class. I don't know. 
But why wouldn't it just be a red tsunami all over the place? Because I think it will be. And maybe they're trying to cover it up media-wise, but why wouldn't it be theoretically? Why would we not see that? If we're all seeing the same disaster, it comes down to the fact right now, at least in my opinion, it comes down to the fact that we have recognized the same issue, but see things in a very different light. Democrats truly believe that we have to go further to the left in order for things to stabilize. That Donald Trump truly, and this isn't just rhetoric, this isn't just talking points, this is their deep down heart of hearts belief that Donald Trump truly was the evil Nazi, fascist, racist, bigoted, whatever, blah, 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 you know, fill in the blank name adjective for him that he they say he was to where they don't care how bad the economy is. They don't care how bad things are as long as he's not in power and people that support him aren't in power either. There are a few of those out there. There are a lot of those out there. Others truly believe, like the Bernie Sandersites, that they just haven't had the purest society that they want. And a lot of that's coming from my generation, unfortunately. Where they, if we just go further, if we just reinvent the wheel this time, this time it'll work. But you obstructors, you didn't allow us to go as further as we need to, and it needs to be all or nothing or else it won't work properly. And that's not how democracy works, even though we don't live in a democracy. That's not how a constitutional republic works. Works And thank God we live in a constitutional republic because it's supposed to be you have your crazy fringe ideas, we have our crazy fringe ideas, and I use that in air quotes for our listeners, and then we find a compromise to move forward that's best for the nation to where we recognize our differences, but we recognize we're trying to move in the same direction. We don't have that anymore. In fact, no one calls it a republic any longer. In fact, they don't know that we actually live in a republic any longer, so they don't recognize the beauty of of the society and the nation and the form, the formation of society that we have today. The construct of our government, the construct of our nation as a whole, they don't get it because we're not quite intelligent enough to figure it out, so therefore they the want to go off to the radical side. With Andy Hoosier. The Dan Bongino Show. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, so I kind of laid the groundwork during that segment there of why we're seeing the results that we're seeing right now, even with the disaster from Joe Biden and the Democrat policies right now. There's still, how in the world is there still any support for that side of the aisle? How is it that we have to campaign this hard when it should be a very easy task? Why is it a challenge to win people over on republicanism, conservatism, constitutionalism, when you can see the results of your social experiment or your economic experiment or your military experiment or your foreign policy experiment or your immigration experiment or whatever else you want to say from the Democrat side? You can see the results of it right now. And they say it's just done this way because it's not done good enough. We have to redo it and we have to redo it and go further. Republicans, according to Fox News, have kicked off a state, a battleground state tour to uh, catapult GOP candidates to victory at the very end of their moving state to state with their big candidates. We're having some here, even here in Kansas. Imagine that. We're in the heart of America. I'm based out of Wichita, Kansas, right smack dab in the middle of the nation. You know what we have this year or this week? Our Republican candidate, who is our current attorney general, running against our current governor that's a Democrat, and she's a hack and a half. You know what we have? We have two major events coming up just in the Wichita area this week. Steve Scalise, the House Majority Whip from Washington, D.C., is coming out 
on Wednesday to do a campaign fundraiser for the Republican Party as a whole and for Governor Schmidt, or soon to be Governor Schmidt, hopefully. On Friday, former Vice President Mike Pence coming to Kansas. Now, that's awesome. I'm glad we're getting some attention. I'm glad we're getting some of those. Why do we have to do that? Why are we not easily 10 points in the lead right now, 20 points in the lead right now? What makes a Democrat stay a Democrat even when everything's crumbling around them? What makes them sit at the dinner table and try to actually drink their tea and try to think that everybody's hunky-dory while the house is burning down around them? What makes them stay that way? I don't understand it. It should be easy. We shouldn't have to campaign that hard other than just say, look around and see how well things are working out for you. When the government's spending massive amounts of money above what they're supposed to be spending, when they don't pass a federal budget year after year after year, when they spend on social programs left and right, we just officially had the kickoff, by the way, too, of the social uh, student loan forgiveness program that started over the weekend, the beta website, where they're testing things out and students can already apply. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they can already apply. I went to the website. I checked it out. It's very easy. You put in your name. You put in your social security number. You put in your address and your email address, and that's about it. And then it goes through. They're going to check and verify everything for the IRS, and then boom, done. It's over, and then you can actually get your ten dollars to $20,000 in student loan forgiveness. This is at a time when inflation's at 9%. Our spending's at an all-time high. We're spending trillions of dollars in Ukraine. We're spending trillions of dollars over in Afghanistan. We're not focusing on the border. We're not cutting spending and then we want to do the student loan forgiveness program, which, by the way, is about has about six different lawsuits from six different states involved with it as well. Oh, yes. That's the mess that we're in right now. And yet, and yet, the other side just says we have to go further. We have to take things up to notch. We have to just go a little bit further with our agenda, and then everything will work out. I'm optimistic that we will win about 30 seats in the House of Representatives. I'm optimistic that we will probably have a one or two or three seat majority in the U.S. Senate. If we don't, however, as right now, according to the the, the experts in the polls, see how well they act, they say that uh, Democrats could maintain a slight majority or still have that 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate. Even if that's the case, good luck getting anything through because with our 30-point gain in the House, we're going to stop everything dead in its tracks and stop your shenanigans. The House representative specifically holds the power of the purse as well. So guess what with our budget? Guess what with this additional spending? That stuff it's going to the wayside. You're going to the request bin that's going to be in the corner of the office and alley-oop, baby, because that's where it's going to be every single time you request additional spending. Got to take a break. When we come back, Richard Lyons, Shadows of the Acropolis. We've had him on the program before. We'll talk about this divisiveness. We'll talk about going into the final weeks of election season. Excited to have him on the program. It is a Monday. Let's get things kicked underway here for a Monday here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out for a Monday today, kicking off a brand new week, the greatest day of the entire week. I'm telling you, this is the day where we get to set the mojo for the entire week. Why? Because I'm an eternal optimist. I don't care what you say. I'm always happy. Damn it. (laughs) Got a lot to talk about. We have a COVID update. 
to get into in a little bit later on the show is some states are still now or reinstating mask mandates even for vaccinated individuals. Kind of defeats the purpose of getting the vaccine, doesn't it now? I'm just throwing it out there. So we'll talk about that here in just a bit, but I am excited to have this guy back on the program. Don't want to waste any time as he is the author of multiple books, including Shadows of Acropolis. That's his latest one. His uh, previous one before that, The DNA of Democracy, as we talk about what the heck's going on with divisiveness, polarization, and election season in our latest and What's Trending. What's Trending Today. And happy to have on the program with us again, Mr. Richard Lyons. Richard, how are you, my friend? Uh, doing well, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it is good to talk with you. I have really enjoyed our conversation, so it's good to have you back on here. As we get closer to election season, it seems to me that we're seeing a more and more divided nation, which obviously, you know, the, the emotions are running high for a lot of individuals on both sides of the aisle. The campaigns are out knocking doors, talking to people. We're seeing TV ads galore. We're seeing, I, I can't, although I have to admit, I don't see as many yard signs this year, I don't think, as compared to uh, previous years, but as we build ourselves up to this grand election, um, where are we from what you've seen with the past, with some of the historical events that you've researched in this DNA of democracy, the shadows of Acropolis on how we've built and structured this nation? Where are we this year, do you think, in our election cycle compared to what we've seen in previous years? Are we more emotionally enhanced and involved in this one, or do you think we're about on track? Um, I would say we're we're more emotional about it because... Uh, there has been a, a, a shift in the past several decades to where it used to be when we were talking about the differences between the Republican and Democratic Party. You, If you can use a, a football analogy, you were playing between the 40-yard lines. Mm. Both parties agreed on, on the turf between the 40s, right? Sure. That we were a constitutional republic. <laughs> Nowadays, they're, they are each at, well, I would say the Republicans have stayed at the 40, but they the Democrats are at the 40 wanting to score in the end zone every time. Yeah. They, uh, it's all or nothing with the Democrats now. Yeah, and it shows in our bipartisan talks and our quote-unquote compromises that we see today. I've spent a lot of time railing on the Republican Party on the concept of compromise. And, you know, I, I'm with a lot of people that say we need to hold hands, sing kumbaya, we need to work together again and actually make things happen and move forward and move that goalpost further and further down the line. That doesn't happen <laughs> today. Their, it's their best line. It's their best line. Yeah. Let's it, all be peaceful and give us what we want. Exactly. And, and Republicans allow They are it. now... Yeah, it's always we who are supposed to compromise. What is being compromised continuously is our Constitution. And that has been being compromised for the last century. And it has always been with uh, democratic reaches for power that are unconstitutional. So, yes, let's all sing Kumbaya as we, you know, destroy the country. Yeah, exactly. When did that change? Because we used to, like you said, I mean, the Great Compromise back after, you know, during World War II, the compromise is where we would sacrifice a lot of our ideals to come with a package that was a compromise from both sides. But you're right, now we don't see that. Compromise now is Republicans give up your agenda or else you are the obstructors, you're shutting down the government, and you're going to let people die in the street unless you actually pass this bill. When did that change happen? I think it happened with the advent in the 1960s of the power of the media, where uh, the media, you know, have a they have a, a script, they go by it, and the script is Democrats good, Republicans evil, government good, Constitution bad. Yeah. They they look at the Constitution as being a barrier to justice when actually it is it is the engine which creates justice, as our founders put it. 
So we have, we're a basically divided country, but a country, one side believes in the Constitution and the other wants to be rid of it. Uh, so it, it, we're at quite a climactic time. We're at a Y in the road, yeah. as I put it in the book. Yeah, that is very true. I posed a question yeah. earlier in the program about uh, how we don't have a slam dunk election this year with inflation at nine plus percent right now with gas prices up at three, four dollars, even seven dollars in some areas of the country. And domestic drilling is just in the tanks. Supply chain issues left and right. Immigration going nonstop. I mean, we are living right now the Democrat experiment of everything that they've wanted. And we can see where it's at. Why do we have to campaign so hard to try and let people know about this? Because you would think just on the streets, everybody would be aware of this and it would be an easy, wow, these guys are ridiculous and their agenda's not working. Let's try something different. I, I don't understand it myself, Andy. I, I call in, in the book, I call the 70s, 1970s, the dream decade for the Democrats because they controlled literally everything. Mm-hmm. And they're doing so again with the same results. And it's it whenever there is a Republican like Ronald Reagan in office or like Donald Trump in office, the the economy does better. People are taxed less. It's just a better environment. We're defended as a nation. And then a Democrat is elected and we get this. We get what we've had for the past two years and and people just accept it and they vote for it. And I don't I don't understand it. Really don't. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think we're going to do well this election, but I've heard already the Democrats have already made threats that if Republicans get in there, if we have a controlled majority in the House and in the Senate, that the violence will start again, that the Trump-endorsed candidates, the Trump supporters, that MAGA movement, the most extreme radical political organization in the history of the United States, that they're already (laughs) advocating for violence in the streets, and it's going to be, quote-unquote, again, our fault because we allow it to happen because we just have different ideas than them. Well, you know, they're very good. They're playing the socialist playbook. Yeah. They, they do what they can with elections. And when they don't win, they, they trot their forces out and get violent. And, you know, they've been burning down cities since the sixties. So <laughs> that is you true. Know, it's the same stuff. <laughs> just it's the, the same, same thing all over man. again. There's a, yeah. I would tell, I would tell in, in shadows of the Acropolis, what occurred and why in the Detroit riots of 1967. And it was, a, it was a gathering littered by white socialists who were egging on African-Americans to burn their own neighborhoods down. Wow. And they're doing it again. And they get away it's, with it. Uh, it's really remarkable. They get away with it, and they are called saints for doing it. I mean, because the media plays it that way. They, don't, they, they bias the news on all occasions, every chance they get. And Republicans are always on ret- in retreat. Yeah, it, it baffles me. It does baffle. We were talking with Richard Lyons, author of the book Shadows of the Acropolis, the latest book, also the one prior to that, The DNA of Democracy. I know this is a bit of a purist standpoint and a bit of a you know far-reaching, but we've come obviously a long way from constitutional limitations on the government. Every, in my opinion, every bureaucratic department, every agency, every fourth branch of the government is unconstitutional and we shouldn't have them. Obviously, they're never going away now that they're there and they're multi-trillions of dollars worth of uh, departments and agencies regulating everything that we do. But um, is there a way for us to slowly work our way back towards constitutionalism, towards limited government, and towards uh, being able to preserve freedoms at least at a statewide level? Can we start working that way again? Well, that, that's exactly the reason I wrote these books, Andy. Uh, I wanted to tell people how our, how our country was founded, why it was fo- founded as it was, 
And then in Shadows of the Acropolis, I wanted to show how it's changed for the last hundred years. And as I say, I think we're at a, at a Y in the road. And with every single election, we now have to vote people in to, to decrease to the greatest degree possible uh, the agency government we have in America. We have one city full. In the administrative state, there are 430 different agencies. In the dependency state, what I call the dependency state, the welfare, uh, has over 180 agencies devoted to taking money and redistributing it. So it's a monster we've created in within uh, Washington, D.C., and yeah. it has to be faced. So I think the edu- educating everybody as to what the nature of our government is now compared to what it was is a first task in, in helping. Can we wake people up to that? I mean, I know that the the idea was once you buy off enough of the voters, once you get them on social programs, once you make them dependent on social programs in some way, shape, or form, then they're always going to vote for that because they never want to let that go. Have we crossed that threshold to where now we have too many on it to want to go back and actually change things, or do we still have a chance on that front? Well, I had, I'll had. i just take the uh, food stamp program. I found out in my research that uh, the number of persons on food stamps now are more than the population of 25 states combined. <laughs> That's a lot of dependents. And wow. there are 63 million of us out of 330 million. There's 63 million that are directly dependent on government for everything they eat, their clothes, their house. So, yeah, that's a big, big number. And then you add to that the number of people working in government. Sure. And that's massive. It is massive. Uh, and then you add on top of it now the student loan pro, the student loan forgiveness program that officially kicked off this last weekend, where they're even with six <laughs> different lawsuits from six different states, including Kansas, where I'm hailing from right now, that they're still yeah. moving forward with this program. What I can do anybody in the audience that if they're putting in such an application, don't mark down that you're a Republican. <laughs> I doubt you'll get forgiven. Yeah, I'm sure I have a mark. I mean, I have $60,000 of student loan debt, so I'm sure that I'm not going to get approved if I did apply. But uh, they have a big old mark next to mine and be like, nah, this guy needs to pay for his and probably like three other people's because the hell with this guy. So that's the way it's probably going to be. we got to take exactly. a got to take a hard break here. It's Richard Lyons, author of the book Shadows of the Acropolis, also the DNA of democracy. Uh, they go hand in hand and in tandem. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation with how we can get the country back on track and what our future potentially could look like. And Richard, you mentioned the cross the wall the fork in the road right now, where we're at with this nation. Let's look at those possibilities of the two directions we could go because there are some that are very concerned about moving forward and what we could look like with this inflation, the supply chain issues, the food shortages, all of the food distribution plants going up in flames over the last year or so. Does that tie into what's going on and will that create more dependency in this nation? We'll do all that and more coming up here on the program for a Monday here on The Voice of Reason. Stay right here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out. We've got a few minutes left here on a Monday, the greatest day of the entire week. That's what we do. We have a laundry list of awesome guests that we're going to have on the program throughout this week, so make sure to stay tuned in as we get closer to election season. Trying to get some of the national candidates on as well uh, from different states as we kind of put the area focal points in different areas of the country. 
We'll see. We'll see what we can do here. Right now, we're hanging out with the man himself, Richard Lyons, author of the book Shadows of the Acropolis, also the DNA of democracy. They go hand in hand. You're going to want to read both of them to understand where we've come, where we are, and where we could potentially go in this nation as we are at that crossroads. Do we come back to our rationale, our common sense, our limited government, and allow our nation to flourish and be great again? Not to steal from a Donald Trump take, but or do we go the other direction and do the Bernie Sanders thing if we just haven't created socialism enough? I mean, I love that, Richard, right? We haven't done socialism <laughs> pure enough. If we just do it further this time, then this time it'll work. I know it was a disaster last time, but if we just redo it again this time and go further, this time it'll work, right? Well, let's take the Great Society of Lyndon Johnson as an example. Since the Great Society was launched, We've had a transfer of $22 trillion uh, redistributed in the country to create the Great Society. And so I'd ask over the past two years, how's it doing? Yeah, how well is that and working then, out? You know, rem- yeah, remember, no, socialism has not worked anywhere in the world at any time in any country. It is tyranny dressed up as G, and yeah. it's absolute BS. Talk about the crossroads that we're at right now. As we go into election season and we're just weeks away from seeing potentially Republicans come back in, hopefully, and be able to put a, a stagnation on the Biden administration but until we get to the presidency, or we allow Democrats to continue right. on with their agenda. Where are we at the crossroads, and are we seeing the fall of Rome, essentially, to speak, right before our eyes, or are we going to see a reflourishing of this nation to where we can extend our livelihood here? Well, it, you know, um, persons, persons who have written uh, about government in history have said that when once a government learns how to plunder its own treasury, that's where the problem comes. And so you have the why and the road exists between representative and smaller government or uh, unlimited government that's administrative dra- state driven. The Democrats, whenever they come into power, they create enormous programs that take power away from the people and stow that power in agencies that the people have no control over. It's solely the presidency that controls those agencies, and those agencies are run on automatic. You can't fire the persons in them. You can't lessen their, their budgets. Uh, Ronald Reagan tried, and all he did was slow the growth of government uh, down to 1.4% per year rather than being able to really cut a single program. Yeah. So it's extremely it's extremely different difficult and it would take a dedication to limited government. It takes but it's a dedication that choice. Yeah, it's a dedication for limited government. It's also the rebranding of the dialogue and the conversation. I mean, looking at federal budgets for example, when the Democrats lose their minds, they say that we're, you know, we see a, a, an automatic increase of 6% on a social program. We say, "Hey, we can't afford that. Let's do a 2% increase." So that way it's still growing, right, but exactly. we can at least get, you know, handle it. They go out in the media and say that we're cutting it by 4%, and if we don't do this, then people are going to die in the streets. I mean, that's the narrative that they control right now. And and the media just ladles it out. Uh, and, you know, all sorts of, um, you know, social television. Where, oh, my God, you know, it's a house burning a fire <laughs> if uh, the Republicans get their way. And now they're doing it with global warming. I mean, they're telling us that the planet will cease to exist in 30 years and we got nowhere else to go. So we have to be taxed to the limit. They have to control our own our thermostats, what we drive, what light bulbs we use. It's just another massive taking of control of uh, individual prerogatives. 
How that last so deadline really worked out for them? The road, Andy. Yeah. If they get that, if they control the energy, and I go into this in the book, controlling the energy sector is controlling everything. They sure. control it's every industry in America depends on energy. If you control that and the health services, so you have people by their pocketbook, by their stomach, and by their throat, you've uh, got control. Well, I mean, come on, Richard. Just go out and get your electric vehicle, but then don't turn on your AC or charge the electric vehicle because you're going to have blackouts if you do it. I mean, it's just it's just simple. I'd Why like wouldn't you do that? I'd like to know what they. I'd like to know what they're going to do with 50 million dead batteries. <laughs> what do they do after the batteries die? We stack them up and make a very large mountain out of them, and then we talk about mountain climbing. I mean, that's what it's about. Richard Lyons, we're out of time, my friend. Shadows of the Acropolis, the Great DNA of democracy. Always good, my friend. We got to do it again soon, brother. Okay, thanks very much. Hey, appreciate it. Always a pleasure. We'll get him back on. We love Richard Lyons on the show. Again, check out the book, Shadows of the Acropolis, The DNA of Democracy. Great stuff. We'll do that again. Until then, back at it tomorrow for another episode of The Voice of Reason. Be your own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.